this is Danny. And today we're going to talk about Danny. Well, <laughs> we're going to talk about um, a panel that Danny was on um, called, what was it called? Oh, The Rise of Pre-Loved Fashion in Singapore. See, that was a mouthful, so I, I had to refer. Um, <laughs> And Danny was on a panel together with uh, Nejla Matamfin, who is the founder of the Fifth Collection. Hi, Nejla. And um, also Isaac Ang, co-founder of Loop Garms. And Tammy Gunn, who's um, a second-hand lover. Um, so I guess you represent them more of like a consumer point of view. Mm-hmm. So it was a really interesting panel. And I was in attendance, but I'll let Danny talk about what <laughs> Um, was shared in this panel. Yeah. yeah. So, the panel was organized by the Fashion Pulpit, which is a clothes swapping mm-hmm. um, business in Singapore. Yeah. I think it's the only one. No? I think there must be more informal ones. Yeah. Okay. But so this is under Ray Padin, yeah. and he he's done a really good job, kind mm-hmm. of making it like quite formal and. Yeah, like yeah. they have a proper store. Yeah. And, and membership and. Yeah. So they've done a nice job with mm. that, and. And we began the panel by looking at the rise, or well, the origins of um, secondhand mm. and around the world and in Asia in particular. So I began by talking about how, for example, secondhand is not a new thing. There's a lot of research that has been done about what they call rack pickers or people who sell secondhand clothing to, the, to poorer people since Victorian England. And that's obviously because clothes used to cost so much before. Like, they would be woven in beautiful silks and only the upper classes were able to purchase these garments firsthand. Mm. And of course, there were a lot of sumptuary laws, which meant that if you were in a social class, a certain social class, you could only wear certain types of garments. So secondhand, the secondhand clothing industry is not a new thing, especially in Europe. And in America, in particular, um, secondhand is often associated with counterculture. For example, in the 1960s, there were the student, um, the student protesters and the hippies who were purposely wearing army surplus and secondhand clothing to kind of like go against social conventions. And in the 1990s, you had the rise of grunge and the rise of vintage. And all of these things were kind of, all, all of these purposeful appropriations and use of secondhand and vintage clothing were more as a fashion, uh, sorry, as an identity statement, as a statement to kind of be countercultural, be counter mainstream society. And although we often think that in Asia, secondhand or vintage clothing, it has a kind of a strange or bad connotation. The Japanese have a very long lineage of um, secondhand and and um, of using old garments, of mm. reusing old garments. And there's this particular term that I love from Japanese called motainai, which loosely translated is about not wasting things. Mm. And um, things like boro, like the, this mending techniques... Um, that were used in Japan have been around for hundreds of years. So they never let anything go to waste and they often repaired it. And in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't just about the materiality, but 
also again youth culture was really into um, American American culture and so American vintage became a very big thing in Japan in the 60s and 70s with young people and it was a way to again be against mainstream society to embrace the West and to embrace new culture so that was like a brief introduction that I gave to um, pre-loved and mm. second-hand clothing yeah and I mean, you gave a really good overview at the beginning because that's what Ray asked you as the moderator, right? And yep. um, I like that because we had that as context and then we could kind of hear from Najla about the fifth collection, which does pre-loved designer goods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also from Isaac, who is with Loop Gum. So Loop Gums does more... It's very different from fifth collection, yeah. obviously. He, so he, he calls it contemporary vintage. Contemporary yeah. vintage, and yeah. And very inspired by Japanese vintage clothing. Uh, vintage stores yeah mm. and it's like more sort of like t-shirts that yeah. have you know really interesting stories behind them yeah like band t-shirts That's movie right. t-shirts yeah um, he specialises in 70s to 90s mm-hmm. clothing yeah and you have to sort of be plugged into like pop culture for instance to kind yeah. of appreciate um, his his clothes for what they are. And actually, I know loop gums from our students yeah, because a lot of them will wear really interesting t-shirts to class. And I'll be like, oh my goodness, where do you get that from? Um, and they would tell me like, oh, you know, it's this shop in Jalan Basar, um, which is very near us at La Salle. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool, you yeah. know, that there was such a thing. Because previously, I mean, and Isaac mentioned this as well in our chat before the panel, yeah. that there were, you know, these um, vintage store or vintage clothing stores in like Anxiang Hill yeah. or at Haji Lane. I mean yeah. Haji Lane was where I sort of started purchasing, you know, when yeah. I was a teenager just starting to earn my own money doing like, you know, part-time jobs and things. Mm-hmm. And that's where I would go to shop. And I remember that there were these vintage clothing stores there. You know, so it's very typical kind of vintage stores, right? Like you would have the t-shirts and then the military jackets. Mm. That's always got to be the military jackets. Yeah. And, you know, some beat up shoes and things like that. So they don't really exist anymore. But I think Loop Gums is kind of like, okay, we're here. Yeah. And we're going to provide these things and... You know, they're kind of cultivating a new generation, I guess, of vintage clothing yep. lovers. But he did say that, you know, talking about how it's about um, this pre-loved. pre-loved clothes in Singapore, he did say how it's very difficult to sell at a certain price point to the yeah. Singapore consumer. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that we had two different perspectives yeah. and that they were very clear about um, defining what they sell. So, for mm-hmm. example, when we talk about second-hand this, now very varying types of second hand so yeah. there is vintage mm-hmm. which has like more cultural capital and then there is second hand which sometimes just means like hand me downs or thing could be fast fashion garments that people don't want anymore yeah and then there is reproductions of vintage that Isaac said that's not what they do it has to be an original vintage so yes. he looks a lot at like tags and labels and does a lot of research on that yeah I love how also that people are starting to talk about it as pre-loved mm. rather than second-hand because like the idea of second-hand sounds bad somehow and pre-loved mm. sounds better but I don't, I don't, I don't know, know the difference I, really. I, I think that as they have highlighted may be something that is more in this region, in okay. Asia in particular because in, there, in the West they have no problems with second-hand or pre-loved garments or yeah. vintage clothing mm-hmm. and a lot of I mean in the I, I think also the reason why we saw so many vintage stores in the 2000s when we were teenagers was because 
um, it was kind of like part of this trend that was happening from indie rock to mm-hmm. kind of vintage, this vintage look that was going on. Yeah. It was like the, well, grunge or like the revival of grunge. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Well, something that they brought up as well, which I thought was really intriguing, was the idea of how um, the older generation um, think about the clothes or the items belonging to dead people. Yeah. Right? This came up quite a bit, like, in yeah. everyone except you, actually, I feel. <laughs> so Nasha talked about that when she said, you know, there are people who consign to her platform but wouldn't buy from the platform. And then Isaac said that there was a customer who came into the store with... Um, her children, and then she's like, oh, why would you want to buy something that belongs potentially to someone who, who's dead or, you know? Yeah. And then Tammy, who is, um, well, you know, she she's, I guess, the consumer, right, you know, on the panel, she said that that's what her mom said as well to her. Yeah. So I thought that was really intriguing. And actually that brings to mind as well how when I first, I got my first version of my home and then we really couldn't afford any, like, new furniture, um, and so we bought secondhand furniture in place of like IKEA, for instance, because we wanted some character to the, mm-hmm. to the furniture. And I remember that the furniture store person, um, so it was at this place called Second Charm, and um, she said that she's been seeing like an increasing number of young people buying secondhand furniture when usually it's quite taboo. Yeah. So like we bought this really beautiful sort of like you know tapered legs kind of bed. Um, from Shanghai in the 1950s, I think. Wow. Yeah, so we still use it. And apparently it's not a good thing to do because, like, the people who used it might be dead as well, you know, and then it's, like, the spirits or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, okay? I just thought, this is a beautiful piece of furniture. It's one of a kind. I would prefer this to, like, something that's yeah. mass-produced. I th- yeah, I, I think that's interesting to note because, for example, even when I was doing archive uh, research or... The kind of conversations that I was listening to in Europe were very different mm. than the ones here. Like it was always about the more o- the older this object is, the more history and the more spirit it has to like, and then it was more precious. Whereas here, it's like new, 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 new. Yeah, and even like secondhand homes, you know, mm. I mean secondhand homes. Yeah. Like so, in Singapore for public housing, um, you have the new, the new what we call BTO, flats or buy to order that you have to wait for for a while. And then there's the old public Mm -hmm. housing that has been built from the 70s Which we have both purchased. Yeah, we both purchased. Because we understand the value of the old. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, in general, it doesn't really, to the older generation, it doesn't make economic sense because um, all public housing only has 99 years Mm. and the older it is, the less you get. Yeah. yeah, so we're not going to live that long anyway. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, in general, it even when the agents were bringing us around, they, it does seem that they understand mm. our demographic of like younger people who are trying to like buy old. Yeah. And I think sometimes they do think that we're a bit foolish because to them it's like, why don't you just want to buy a new thing? Well, to me, I think buying old is because I see the value in old. So for instance, I, I know that you think the same of me. Um in that the older ones are in better locations, right? So we wanted to live central. So then that's what happens. And then 
they also have like bigger spaces. So I think it's the same for clothing and things like that because we understand the value of like good design. Mm. And sometimes we also understand or rather we appreciate how things are one of a kind or, you know, there's a story that's linked to it that, you know, we really feel for yeah. rather than just buying something cookie cutter. Yeah. And actually, I don't understand reproducing vintage at all, like reproducing vintage styles. I mean... I don't know, like, it just doesn't seem real yeah. or it doesn't seem like, yeah. you know, the, but the real thing. But I think we've mentioned this before that this is very, like, this is quite normal that every era would reproduce something from True. another era, especially mm. in fashion. And what we're talking about here is, like, two different ways of seeing the value of something. And that's also what Nechla and Isaac were talking about. So for Nechla, she sells second-hand designer, designer mm. goods. And so... It's about, um, it's quite economic. Like, the reason why somebody would buy that is an economic reason. Like, yeah. you want to get a really good quality thing for a lower price. Whereas yeah. for... And I there's no shame in that. No. <laughs> I love a good bargain. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, for some reason, reason, she does. She did say that at the beginning, she faced a bit of challenges with this. Whereas um, for Isaac, it was a question of cultural value. So yeah. you wearing this vintage clothing added, like, what he called... Uh, Hype, yeah. <laughs> or you like know, you're in the know and you are much yeah. more knowledgeable than everybody yeah. else. You and have taste, you yeah. have style, and yeah. he also he's really good at giving these like phrases to things like he was talking about. Yeah, it's wearable nostalgia. Wow, <laughs> yeah, quotable quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Actually, you know, one of the things I remember about being so I am a customer of Fifth Collection, and I remember once I asked them like, okay, so I have something that I have bought um, from like a sort of second-hand platform as well. Is it okay if I still consign it to you guys? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, yeah, why not? I mean, it doesn't matter how many times it's changed hands. It doesn't matter if it's first-hand, second-hand, third-hand. So long as it is still okay, still acceptable for selling, yeah, we'll take it in, you know? And something else that she talked about was also that people sometimes buy from it thinking that there will be no flaws at all. But they forget that things are worn and things mm. are used, you know, and there will be some wear and tear. And if you want to get, like, something for a lower price, then you have to contend with those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this goes into... So a lot of sustainability research also goes to this... I, I mean, also approaches the idea of changing people's aesthetic views, which is something I explore a lot in my research as well and I think the Japanese again I love Japanese philosophy they have this phrase of wabi-sabi so of um, accepting imperfections and if we just change our view of what perfection is what beauty is I think um, all these flaws and little things are what give things character and yeah yeah, so when we're buying things we don't expect all this perfection that we are looking for well, speaking about perfection, I mean, I've been watching this documentary series called Broken. Oh, yes, I was just I telling you about this. Yeah. And I mean, talking about like perfections and flaws and, and whatnot. So I was really fascinated by the first episode of this series called Broken. Um, so they have like an episode on counterfeit cosmetics, um, one on, I think, um, furniture, particularly dresses falling on children and killing them. Oh, no. Um, I know. And then. That happened in Singapore. Yeah, I think it's happened quite often. Um, and then something about vaping, and then as well, um, uh, an episode on recycling. But I wanted to talk about the first episode in line with like our idea of consumption, 
on the theme of consumption we are talking about in this episode. So counterfeit cosmetics is apparently a really big industry. And what happens is because of, again, social media kind of making... Uh, lots of stars um, out of like just makeup enthusiasts or makeup artists they've actually created brands that then sell really well you know so we're thinking about people like like Huda Katan or like Kylie Jenner mm. you know like um, people with for instance like YouTube channels or doing tutorials and things like that and when they create brands what they do is they try to have like limited drops um, so things sell out really quickly and that kind of creates the hype as well and people want to really buy quickly but of course they then run out really fast as well and what happens then is people who can't afford you know the real thing at the real price they are desperate to get their hands on something that they've seen you know on their phones or on their computers and then they try to get these items on like eBay for instance or other second um, or other buy and selling channels and what happens is there are shameless people <laughs> who have created counterfeit cosmetics. And that sounds all fine, but actually what they've done is they have used um, really bad ingredients, I guess, you know, to make these cosmetics. So, like, for instance, if they are supposed to use, you know, something that doesn't smell, like a mineral oil that doesn't smell, then they might use, like... Um, paraffin oil for instance you know oh. or they might you know add things to that compounds together that then create like um, carcinogenic um, compounds for instance that's horrible yeah so it's very bad in that way and then one of the women who was interviewed in the episode she said that she bought the Kylie Jenner I think the lip gloss yeah I'm not sure what it's called now was it called a particular thing or is it just Kylie Jenner I'm not sure. Yeah, but what happened was she bought this um, and she already knew that there was probably something off about it because the price was lower than what it was selling for. So she applied it and guess what? Her lips got stuck together. Oh my goodness. Because it was like super glue, you know. Like how... You know what I mean? Like how unconscionable are these people? Like they put super glue in these cosmetics and they sell it. It's ridiculous. So it's like for the price of beauty... Um, I mean, what what are you willing to pay, you know? And but how do you regulate really this know, yeah. industry as well? I mean, was this in America? I believe so, yeah. Because the EU has very strict rules on mm. what goes into things. And that was one of the things that came up when Brexit was going to happen. That oh. Some of these cosmetics and food items suddenly don't have to be regulated anymore in oh, the gosh. same manner. Okay. Yeah, so they were also talking about how um, all of these things, well, most of these things come from China. Mm. Um, and then they kind of import them, right? And then they come in these shipping containers. So mm. the thing is, with shipping containers, it's impossible to check everyone. Because apparently mm. every six seconds, there is a shipping container that is unloaded, wow. you know, at the port. And it gives China such a bad reputation, whereas... Yeah. They produce also amazing things. That's true. Yeah, you just need one bad apple, really. Um, so then they would sell or they would have, you know, these random checks on the containers that come in. And usually the idea, well, if it comes from China, it's a red flag. So what they do sometimes is also that they go through Hong Kong. So they export out of Hong Kong oh, okay. and that makes it seem like less of a red flag. So sometimes that happens as well. 
but when they find something that's a bit off, like, you know, the wording on the box is a bit off or, like, there's something wrong with the printing in some way, then they will test the products and usually they will realise that there's something wrong with it, you know? Mm. And um, they also interviewed, like, I think a dermatologist on the show and she said that in the past few years she's seen um, an uptick in, like, skin conditions, you know, like, people oh, wow. getting pink eye or styes or things like that because they put these you know, irritants um, from the fake cosmetics onto their faces, right? Oh and it does gosh. something to it. So it's actually really real, yeah. you know, the impact. It's not just about like, oh yeah, I'm just going to buy this like fake thing because it, it has such a close relationship with your body. It, it doesn't just, you know, supplement it like a piece of clothing or anything. It modifies it, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a big problem. So now I'm also like, oh gosh, I really have to be careful about what I buy to put on my face. That's what Nedjla said, right? That you almost need a PhD to, mm. to know what is the best mm. um, yeah, like product for, to buy. Exactly. Because of the implications that it has on the environment, yeah. on your health, yeah. um, economic impact, etc. Yeah, and I mean, if we think about the last episode about recycling, it was called the Recycling Sham. And I couldn't help but link it to fashion as well, you mm. know. So they were talking about all the production of plastics that have yep. been taking place and the petrol, um, the oil and gas industries who have created all these, like, you know, new plastic items and how actually the idea of being able to recycle plastic is not real. Yeah. Yeah, because what they do is, I mean, it doesn't really get recycled. Yeah. Apparently, very I, few things can I get also, recycled. Yeah, I also heard that um, I don't know what I watched. I think it was something that the Singapore like um, environment agency is circulating around about how actually even glass and all these different materials only get recycled once there is a buyer for mm. the new yeah. product because they need somebody to pay for that recycling. Yeah. So things are just like piling up, waiting to be recycled I for know. somebody to pay for it. That's crazy. And I also, I mean, so all this is part of like the the results of consumption, right? Yeah. So we're talking about, in the panel, we're talking about secondhand and about extending the life cycle of every product. But even at the end of that life cycle, then we have all these other problems. Yeah. So even, I mean, one of the things that really shocked me was that, of course, we know that plastics take forever to um, kind of uh, decompose, right? I get broken down. But I think is when they get broken down, the bits also get eaten, you know, by like the fish in the sea, for instance, yeah. and they get really sick. And then we also eat it, right? So apparently if we are eating like seafood nowadays, we are also ingesting microplastics. Yeah. <sighs> I know. I saw an ad that we eat a credit card every year. Oh, great. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just horrifying. And of course in this show, because they want to have maximum visual impact as well, so they show all these like landfills yeah. and... Um, like rivers that yeah. are just choked up with like plastic bags and yeah. things and it's not really about plastic bags as well because clothing also you know it's yeah. so I think yeah. at the end of the day the only thing that I mean the one thing that we can all do together is to just try to even avoid having those things in the first place and now we are in Christmas and giving season mm. So a lot of people also advise to swap or make something or like give experiences yeah. or to, you know, rethink the e- the ease that we have of just buying something cheap or mm-hmm. buying something last minute for somebody and be yeah. more thoughtful and 
explain yeah. your choices as well. I know, but sometimes, you know, like, as a consumer, and I know we're talking about consumption, as a consumer, I try my best in my little way to, you know, like, bring a tote bag. So, for instance, when I go shopping, even when I'm shopping for clothes, I... I don't want the tissue paper, you know, that they like to wrap things up in. I don't want a paper bag and things like that. And I put it in my tote bag. And um, But sometimes it's like you can't really choose, you know, like whether you consume things you don't want to consume. So this is not about fashion, but it's such a pet peeve. Like when I go to the supermarkets nowadays, um, you know, they have these like claw plastic boxes, you know, like when they put fruits in mm-hmm. and then you like it kind of snaps in place. Oh, yeah. And then it's for you to not be able to just buy one or two apples, for instance. You have to buy, like, six apples. But it's, like, this stupid plastic container that has no use whatsoever. And, in fact, I hate them because, like, they always scratch me when I put them in my tote bags. And, you know, like, they kind of, like, get in your way and things like that. And I just think it's really more in the producer's hands than in the consumer's hands. Like, we can do our little part to, like, help the situation. But the producers need to do something. So... I mean, one of the things that was brought up in the documentary was how um, there are fashion brands now who try to make, like, recycled, you know, clothing made from recycled plastic bottles, for instance. Like, I think Adidas does that, for instance. It's a sports brand. And I'm sure um, other fashion designers have explored this option. And everyone has, like, a sustainability or um, program or angle. But sometimes it just... The cynical me just thinks it's all a marketing ploy to, like, get you to consume more. (laughs) You know, and there will be people who will consume yeah. more. Yeah. I think the rule of thumb would be if it makes you buy something else to lower your mm-hmm. consumption, it's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's um. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we just gotta look at the bigger picture and not the immediate solution. Mm. And it's gonna take a while. And I mean, it's yeah. great that we have new economies and new ways of extending this life mm-hmm. of products and. Working in the fashion industry, we're able to have a little bit of hope on this new, like, for example, renting clothing, mm-hmm. um, secondhand, upcycling, and, you know, still being creative, but, and being able to enjoy the industry that we do, but in a better way. Yes. Okay. On that hopeful, cautiously hopeful note, <laughs> we would like to wish all of you happy holidays um, thank you so much for listening to us. We are amazed that we have recorded 18 episodes so far. Yeah. Um, and we can't wait to record more next year in 2020. It's so crazy that it's 2020. No, what a great number. Yeah. 2020 vision. Okay, we will we will produce many more episodes <laughs> in the next year and we look forward to having you um, on the journey with us. For now, if you would like to follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, it would be very appreciative. And please also um, follow us on Instagram where we put up pictures of what we talk about in our episodes. And this is a very good time for you to catch up on episodes that you might have missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will see you next year. <laughs>